0: So welcome to the Global Math Department. My name is Lee Natero, and I'll be your host tonight. Tonight we're gonna to be hearing from Kristen Emmel about making student thinking visible, replacing math tests with math cats in a remote learning environment. Would everyone please introduce themselves in the chat window if you haven't already done so, telling us what you teach, where you teach and what your Twitter handle is, if you have one. You know we have several people here tonight that have attended multiple Global Math Department meetings and we appreciate you returning to hear more presentations. So I know we definitely are global. And so when I say have a good evening or good evening, it's because that's the time zone that I am. I am on the East Coast of the United States and it is 9 p.m. here. Glad to see so many people here from all around the world. Before I introduce our speaker, let me explain how these meetings work. These meetings are recorded and are available within 24 hours after the meeting ends. To view the recording, you can use the same web link you used to get here tonight. The Global math community prides itself on being friendly and supportive. The chat room is available for topical and general conversation throughout the meeting. I'll catch your questions for the presenter. So don't worry that the presenter won't notice your question in the chatter. Tonight, our speaker is Kristen Emmel. Kristen Emmel is the math curriculum coordinator at Kent Place School, an all girls independent school in Northern New Jersey. Uh, She previously taught middle school math in the public schools for over 10 years before transitioning to a K-8 math staff developer position. She holds a BFA in theater studies from Boston University and an MA in educational technology from New Jersey City University. She has presented at conferences at both the state and national level on topics such as blended learning, number talks, and the mathematical practice standards. Kristen is the mother of two boys and has become an avid
1: runner in the midst of the pandemic. So go ahead take it away. Kristen, Thank you so much, Lee, and thank you guys so much for taking the time to to join me tonight. Um, This is incredible, the fact that the Global Math Department is truly global and joining all together. um, For the record, This Is Us is playing right now at the same time, so it's some pretty stiff competition, so I appreciate you taking the time to join me today and hopefully we can have some great conversation and get a little nerdy with some math work um, as we talk about making student thinking visible by replacing math tests with math chats, even in this remote learning environment. Um, As Lee mentioned before, please feel free to use the chat. I definitely wanna hear your thoughts and thinking. I um, truly value your feedback as we discuss this um, really important aspect of assessment um, that we're all probably wrestling with these days um, and every day, even pre-pandemic. So let's get started. Um, So I had to put this in to start because let's just take a moment and reflect on where we were a year ago. Um, I don't know about where you were in the world, but for us in New Jersey, Jersey Pride, today, last year was exactly, was the first day um, of remote learning. Um, So this is my son taking on uh, the challenge of, of remote learning as a first grader. Um, and I still can't believe how far we've come as educators. How far our students have come um, in something no one wanted to do. But um, we've all grown, and really, um, I celebrate all of you for all the time and efforts you've put in. Um, you know, educators are creative to a fault. You know, even in, in normal circumstances. But this really uh, asked us to to raise, rise to the occasion, and we all did. So congratulations to that. I can't believe it's been a year. Um, <laughs> this is the word of the hour, isn't it? Um, we've had to, we've been asked to pivot quite a bit this past year, haven't we? Um, it's it's a word that's kind of become um, off limits in our household at this point. But I have to say that um, at the start of all of this last year, my husband and I had many a conversation about the pivots we were making, about the shifts we were taking. Um, my husband's actually a director of technology in another school district in New Jersey. And... Um, You know, we really did try to focus in the midst of all the stress as an educator, as a parent, to really look for those silver linings, look for those opportunities that this crazy world and the crazy landscape was providing us. Um, And what I saw is teachers all around me, my colleagues and friends, um, really were taking some incredible risks and pushing themselves beyond what, what they thought their capacities were Um, to to educate our children and to really give them a rich educational experience, even in the midst of all of this. Um, And we really looked at an opportunity, right? Um, And something that my husband and I talked about quite a bit was this notion that, Things may, ne- will probably never go back in terms of the educational landscape to what they were before. And while some of that is challenging for us, there are some silver linings there. We have integrated tech in a way that some of us never thought possible. Um, even those of us that maybe, you know, shrugged away from it at the beginning, um, we're embracing it and we're seeing the value. And again, this was an opportunity for us to really, um, take a look at things in a different way. And I took full advantage of that as well. Um, Tackling a question that I've been thinking about certainly pre-pandemic, but again, in the midst of all this, in the midst of hybrid learning and remote learning, it was time to kind of take a chance. And so I'm excited to share with you some of these ideas on how we could make um, student thinking visible in the hybrid setting in a remote setting and even when we're all back in the classroom together how can we make that student visit, um, student thinking visible um at the and really at the core of our work especially when it comes to assessment so this is my big question this is what um i've always kind of wrestled with in my head and i'm sure some of you have had the same question right um i'm a huge lover of number sense routines i love a good number talk i've been advocating for them for years um, and we do these incredible things in our classroom. We, we you know, equal the playing fields and provide access to our students to really um, think flexibly and creatively to hear one another out and critique the work of others. These are practices that we embrace fully in our classroom. And yet, if our classroom looks like that, why is it that too often our assessments still look like the assessments you and I took when we were in school? Why is it that we still have this paper and pencil, very rote looking assessment um, in in front of our students? Um, And so this was something I really wanted to investigate uh, this year in particular, even before the pandemic, um, but to see how we could maybe leverage technology and, and look at assessment in a different way to blend the two. Um, That said, I'm going to, you know, own the fact that some of these number sense routines are phenomenal, but I don't know whether or not which one doesn't belong, like the example here, would actually um, assess a learning target that I needed for a specific unit of study, right? I mean, there are different rationales of why we do different number sense routines and why we might assess in a different way. But could we blend that? Could we get student voice more involved? um, And what might that look like? And I'm going to caution that everything I'm going to share with you tonight is still most certainly um, rough draft thinking. Right. Um, this is all new. I remember a friend of mine once told me, you know, if you ever want to take a risk uh, and, and you're feeling a little unsure about it, call it a pilot. Right? There's no risks with pilots. Um, you try something out, if it doesn't work, you modify it, you, you shift it around. Um, so what I'm sharing with you tonight is something that I've been working with my colleagues. I see one of them is actually in the meeting today. Um, and we are piecing this through and looking at different revisions as we go through. But I think we're onto something and I hope that uh, it excites you as much as it excites me. So this, this assessment tool, right? Um, In prepping for this year there were these three essential questions that were really on my mind and I'm sure that they were on your mind too and in fact they're not that dissimilar from what we would be thinking about and preparing for in a normal non-pandemic year, right? What skills are my students coming in knowing? What skills that you know are presumed prior knowledge are we maybe gonna have to revisit some more? What maybe didn't stick quite as much as I'd anticipated, um, you know, those types of things. Also, how am I gonna measure growth in my students? And more specifically this year, how can I measure that growth in a hybrid environment? Some of you have not seen your students yet face-to-face this year. Um, And that's a huge, huge challenge when we want to still provide every student access to a strong mathematical education, right? And that leads us to that third essential question of how can I target my instruction to meet specific student needs, knowing that we're gonna have a whole range of where students are and where, where their next step is, and we wanna meet them right there. Um, but the traditional paper and pencil assessment didn't feel like it was going to give me um, and my colleagues enough information about our students, especially given the distances that we are going to face this year. And so um, in preparing to create these assessments, I wanted to develop some sort of a progress monitoring tool too. How can we look at those prerequisite skills at the beginning of the year um, to see where where that foundation lies in our students? How can we revisit some of those skills and what we've been working on in the start of the year as like a mid-year checkpoint? And then towards the end of the year, let's shift into those end-of-year benchmarks right what are those major works of the grade that we want to ensure that our students have so we can prepare appropriate um, you know, if there's summer work or just planning for the following year. And so we started to outline what these skills were and then develop some tasks. I'm gonna show you some of these, we're gonna critique how the students respond and see what this extra layer, you'll see the questions in a moment, how that's going to really help us dig deeper in terms of supporting our students as individuals and really humanizing um, assessment and our work in the classroom. So take a look at this problem. Okay, you've seen things like this before, I'm sure, right? This little hundreds chart puzzle, um, and I realize some of the the text might be a little small, but the directions are just saying fill in each blank of the hundreds chart puzzle, um, and then it says you're going to press this microphone, you're going to answer the question in blue that says how did you figure out what the num what number goes in the pink box, right? Um, I've actually thought about this and I wanna edit that question. So I put a note here to share with you too. I Think convince me is a way more um, engaging way to ask a student to kind of explain their thinking, right? Convince me that you know that that number in the pink box is correct. What do you know? Um, And before we dig into this any deeper, I want you to just put into the chat, what are we assessing in a problem like this? What are we actually trying to measure from a student? And go ahead and throw that in the chat. Yeah, convince me, that's that's a huge, it's a nice little shift, right? What are we assessing in this question? Reasoning, counting by 10s, understanding of number patterns, 10 more, 10 less, place value, yes, patterns plus 10, base 10, plus and minus one, fantastic. Okay, so we're assessing a lot of really important skills. This is um, a task that I put onto a second grade assessment, Um, but this is something that we could have seen on a worksheet and I want you to take a look at student A's work and student student B's work and determine, you know, have they hit the learning target? Do they understand these number patterns do they understand what it means to add or take away 10 to add or take away 1 and what those patterns and sequences in our number system look like would we you know give them credit in a typical assessment given this this document this artifact michael you ask a really good question is this base 10 thinking or their understanding of a hundreds chart so it is a piece of a hundreds chart okay um so they are looking at that patterning within that but it is also an introduction to that base 10 thinking that place value of what happens in my tens place what happens in my ones place as i add 10 take away 10 add one take away one so it is a blend it looks like they did the same thing to me but i don't know how they approached it exactly and so this is where I wanted to add another layer. So let's take a look. I'm going to show you what student A and student B put into their recording. So they each have the same task. They entered in their numbers. It looks good to us. Let's take a look at what they had to say. And hopefully all these videos work. They're a little tinny. I'm not going to lie. Um, students were recording in the classroom, but hopefully you can follow along with their thinking. So here we go.
2: The pink box is a turret I mean, not 70, 56, and when you go down a hundred turret, the tens always changes, but the, the six, I mean, the ones never change, so 66. 76, then 76 minus 1 equals 75, and 76 plus 1 equals 77, and 77 plus 1 78, and 78 plus 1 equals 79, and if we go all the way back here, back to the 77, we go down, and as I said, all the way back in the beginning, the tens always changes, but the ones never do when they go straight down, so 80.
1: Okay, so that's student A's response, okay? Let's take a look at student B, and then I wanna hear your feedback.
2: I know, well, I knew the answers because um, because of the little number grid chart we've got on our desk.
1: Oh. <laughs> okay. What do we think? Do both students have the same level of mastery with this idea of place value and patterning in our hundreds chart? (laughs) And sometimes we forget the tools we have on their desks, right? (laughs) I love the honesty, 100%, right? The student is honest. Well, there's a hundreds chart right in front of me. I could copy that, no problem. Now, I'm gonna caution though, let's talk about this a little bit. So the first student did a really nice job explaining her process, recognizing that as we shift down the hundreds chart or as we add 10, that our tens place is going to shift, it's gonna increase by one, but that our ones place is gonna stay the same. And I love that she was using the names of the place values and, and even reverting back that the 87, 77 connection was similar to what was just to the left in that column. That said, do I really know whether or not student B understands this task? I mean, she was honest. She said that she used the chart. Um, That doesn't necessarily mean that she doesn't understand, but we definitely as a teacher would want to dig a little little deeper. My sense is, is that because she's leaning upon what she saw in the chart, and not referencing place value at all or patterning, that this might be something that she needs a little more work on. And again, if we think about that typical paper and pencil question, um, they would look identical. It would seem like both were right on target, we're good to go and we can move forward. But by adding this layer of an explanation, it sheds light on a different um, level of conversation. At least he knew there was a connection of the question and his hundreds chart. Yes. And yes, communication skills are so valuable, right? Think about what we honor in the classroom when we do those number sense routines. We want students talking about the math. We want students explaining their thinking because even if they can solve a question or answer a question, We really, what we honor and value is how they approached it, how they know their answer is reasonable, and therefore, you know, we can feel confident that they can apply that content or that knowledge to a different application, to a more non-routine problem, right? Um, And yes, someone asked me just before in the chat too, asking if this is Seesaw, and yes, before we look at other examples, I did want to just share with you that the tool that we're leveraging. Um, for these types of assessments is Seesaw. Many of you are probably familiar with it. There is a free version. Um, And basically Seesaw is a digital portfolio where students can um, document their thinking by taking a picture, by writing, recording, Um, but teachers can actually push out activities as well. And you can see um, the way we've done it is we have a template that then the students can record on top of. And basically their work mat, um, and this can be on an iPad, a Chromebook, a laptop, whatever it may be, Um, basically they have this workspace where they can document on top of an image or just start from scratch. And you'll see that they can add text, they can record their thinking, they can add a video, input an image, um, and it's a really powerful tool because it's multimodal. It's allowing students to approach a problem and share their thinking in a way that makes sense for them. Um, I think that that's something we always wanna be mindful of when we continually do a traditional paper and pencil assessment, we're only assessing in one format. And you know we've made great strides in that. There are performance tasks, there are different ways we can demonstrate our thinking. This is a great way to document student thinking that we can share with families, we can share with, um, you know, uh, sorry, all of a sudden I'm, I'm losing my words, like special services, right? We have documentation of student thinking that goes beyond just an answer. And I think that that gives us a lot of actionable feedback that we can continue on our way. Another thing I love about, feedback, uh, about Seesaw, when a student responds, a teacher can provide feedback individually to the student and you can actually have this continual conversation. You can have them edit their thinking um, and this all gets archived into a folder for them so you can see that progress over time. Okay, so this was really powerful to me and I wanna share with you a couple other um, tasks that we have built out to see how we're able to get a deeper sense of student understanding by providing these different um, multimedia tools for students to express their thinking. So let's take a look at some of these. And I definitely wanna hear your thoughts on this. Okay, so this is um, this is a fifth grade task that we put into play at the start of the year to see where they were with their fraction mark. And again, um, in each of these situations, I want you to think about what is the student doing correctly What are the misconceptions we might need to address? And what would your next step be as the teacher? I'm really curious about um, you know, with any assessment, grading it for a grade is useless, right? We assess so that we can actually provide feedback to a student, and we can help give them that next step or support in order for them to hit the learning target and continue through their mathematical journey, right? So let's take a look at what this student had to say. and then put in the chat what what your thoughts are. Let's take a look. So I apologize. Let me just make sure you can read the problem. So the task, um, and again, trying to use the the idea of some of our number sense routines, trying to not just put a a basic problem in front of them, though we did do that too. uh, This is a find the error, right? So how would you explain to someone how to correct the mistake? What happened here? You can take a look, fraction problem, mixed numbers. Okay, now let's hear what she has to say.
2: See where the eight lines up in this fraction bubble? Well, it always stays the same. But since you're subtracting, the three can't be on top because five is a greater number. So you have to cross out the seven, make it a six, make this a 13, And the real answer would be 8. So instead of this 2, you make it an 8. And then you have to change the 6 and the 2. 6 minus 2 is 4. So instead of the 5, you make it a 4. The real answer is 4 and 8 eighths.
1: Bye. Okay. So what do we think about that? Okay, we know that there's some errors. We definitely need to to make some corrections. But really do think about what did she do right? And where's the misconception? Because this is the value add too, right? That we can drill down and hopefully specifically diagnose where the disconnect is, so we can help the student get back on track. Go ahead and put some ideas in the the chat here. (laughs) So close, yes. Hmm. So some people in the chat, uh, <laughs> she understands regrouping and borrowing, right? If this were a problem with whole numbers, I feel fairly confident that she could subtract and regroup and rename the, the number without any issue and do the subtraction. It's the fraction component that's throwing her, right? When she borrows from that whole, when she makes that seven a six and she has to rename that whole, she's working still in base 10. She's adding a 10 to the ones instead of actually adding that whole of eight eighths, right? She knew she had to regroup but was confused with regrouping eight eighths as opposed to 10 eighths. Borrowing but not renaming the fraction. Yes, yes, exactly. I found this so eye-opening because when I first looked, at it, I'm going like, 13 one and three, what? I-, I couldn't really figure it out. But by watching and hearing her and understanding the process, um, I knew exactly what we need to do to diagnose and and, hopefully resolve this issue for this student, right? That we need to consider what our whole is and what our pieces are, that we need to add the eight-eighths. Someone else also, I think, highlighted the idea that even in her final answer, right, it was less of an issue, but the four and eight-eighths We could rename that, we should see that that's a whole to make it five based on our subtraction. So what would your next steps be? How might you support this student knowing where she is, what she has right and what she has wrong? Thank you, Sally, for giving her fraction pieces. Sorry, did I say borrowing? I know, it's habit, right? Without her verbal explanation, you may not have understood her mistake. Oops. Not convinced that she knows what the 10 or 1 means when she's regrouping with whole numbers. And we might have to dig deeper on that. It might not be a safe assumption. Have her draw it. Have her rewrite the one as eight eighths, visual fraction manipulatives. The power of writing one in multiple ways. Yes, and I was actually just working with third grade teachers of, this is a really, um, this could be a really challenging notion for students, right? recognizing that one can be represented in an infinite set of ways as a fraction of five fifths of eight over eight. Um, these different ideas is really, really important. And it feels, it can feel uncomfortable for a student to see those representations when we're used to for so long just adding in our whole numbers. So these are great opportunities. I agree. Giving her some modeling tools, some manipulatives to support her thinking, fraction circles. Make sure she knows that seven is six plus one and one is eight eighths. Yes. Um, I often will write the three eighths plus eight eighths right next to it. Even box it around that that's your one, really emphasizing that. Um, And I think that we could definitely um, provide that intervention in the moment and get her back on track fairly quickly. Beautiful. Okay. So really, really helpful when diagnosing an issue, um, seeing where the mistake is, um, just getting that interview component. And look, in a perfect world, we would be able to sit down with every student each time and, and truly do an interview with them, but we know that time is valuable. We know that you know sometimes our classrooms have 20, 25, even more students, and that's not always attainable, but we can leverage technology to provide this type of individualized assessment um, so that we can act upon um, what, what they're providing to us, right? So that we can actually support them and meet them where they are. Now, to be clear too, because I know what your stacks of papers look like grading even in a traditional sense, I am not advocating that we just, you know, transfer all of our assessments into a seesaw application like this and, and watch each of these videos for every student. It will take you even more time than you're already spending on assessments. But if we fine tune and create a couple of these tasks to really get at the core of what we're actually teaching within a unit, I think it can give us so much more information than a full set of problems on a worksheet, right? Um, So if we pick and choose carefully and really consider what are we asking, what do we wanna assess in this moment, that singular question or two or three of these questions could be more powerful than the entire assessment. Um, Someone also put into the chat, and I think it's important to mention, Seesaw is not the only tool to do something like this, right? Flipgrid is a fantastic way um, to have students create these short little clips. You can give a prompt and let them demonstrate their their thinking in that way. Um, There's fewer tools available, but it is a great method. And even if you want students to see one another's thinking, so there's other options out there. Screencastify, they can create a short screencast. But we found that Seesaw really, is a very powerful tool in that it gives you a lot of different ways to take a look at the problem and express your thinking all in one. So it's, it's a matter of preference and what your school has for you or available to you. Okay, so this is where you know we were doing an error analysis. We we're trying to look and diagnose the issue. I wanna show you one more example where we take a look at a student that actually um, seemingly answered the question well but what do we know about her depth of understanding? And are there certain areas where there are still some misconceptions that we can hit upon? So let's take a look at one more together. Oops, so, not that one. you see where the eight lines up? Just kidding. All right, let's take a look at this one. Um, so this was uh, looking at two-digit multiplication. Um, we purposely asked them to uh, Find the product in two different ways. We want to look at two different methodologies. Um, I know some of the text is small, but she does a great job explaining it. So I think you're gonna be able to follow her thinking pretty well. And again, think through what is the student doing correctly? Are there some misconceptions we still need to hit upon? And what would those next steps be as a teacher? Take a look.
2: So my goal here is to find the product of 25 and 13. So, I have, so for method one, I did what I just usually do when I see a multiplication problem. I just multiply them. So three times, so we're gonna work over um, with the under method one. Three times five is 15. So you write the five, carry the one. Two times three, six, add the one. Then you get seven, you get 75. You add the zero. And then you continue. 1 times 5 is 5, 1 times 2 is 2. Add those together to get 325. Boom, you have the answer. But now we need to have another method. The other, method 2 is a little bit longer, but I'm sure we can work through it. So we have the problem again: 25 times 13. So what I did is I broke 13 into two pieces, 10 and 3. 10 plus 3 is 13. So First, I'm going to do it bit by bit. 25 times 10 is 250. You're adding 10, so I could just um, add a 0 to the end of 25. Just like if you have 35 times 10, you can just uh, add a 0 to the end of 35 to get 350. 51 times 10, you can just add a 0 to the end of 52 to get 520. So once we get that, we have 250. And now we need to multiply the twenty five by the three. twenty five times three is seventy five. So what I what process it processes in my head? I think, oh, I have three quarters. A dollar is four quarters, which is equal to one dollar. in this case, it's just one hundred. it's It's one quarter less, and one quarter is twenty five cents. So one dollar minus twenty five cents is seventy five cents, right? it's the same here so the answer is 75 because another way we could think of it is 25 plus 25 plus 25 or the sum that i learned when i was in second grade 25 50 75 100 or a dollar so yeah once we get that we get 75 now we have this swirly little arrow pointing to the next thing we have now i have i i have to add both answers to get the product for twenty five and thirteen. So you see how twenty five times ten we got two hundred fifty, and twenty five times three equals seventy five. Well, we broke up the number, and we can't just leave it like that. We can't just have two answers. We all we have to put the number back together. By doing so, we have to add these two uh, these two products that we have. So two hundred fifty plus seventy five. I when I didn't get the when I still didn't have the answer, and I had to add that. I didn't even I didn't even do all the whole process. I said, well, look, it's the same equation because 250 was 75, and we have a 75 plus 250. It's the same thing. So with the same equation, it means the same answer. So I have the same answer. So I just wrote 325. And I knew that you just had to add put the little one there. And then that's how you get to your answer. So 25 times 13 is
1: 325. Okay and you guys have a lot to say about this. (laughs) Yes I love listening to her explanations. Um, So excellent use of vocabulary, right? She knows exactly what she knows and can explain it quite well verbally. Her communication skills are excellent. If this was simply 25 times 13 on a paper, we would we would know so little, so so little. It's like peeling an onion away. Um, and what so many of you gravitated towards, and and I did too, was this idea of she knows how to multiply. She has very good number sense. She was able to break apart the ten and the three and do some um, use the distributive property. But that magic zero, man, right? As strong as she is in her number sense, as strong as she is in the skill we really need to go back and support her with where the zero is coming from. And that when that three times two is six and add the one is seven, how is that becoming 70, right? What are we really multiplying by? What is that two actually? Um, And this is so incredibly important as many of you brought up when we get into decimals, when we get into, you know, Other skills we need to know where this zero is coming from it's not magic Um, but having her express the work in two different ways really highlighted that issue because it showed up in both instances but we did see her related to money we did see her using the distributive property the commutative property she saw that the sum was going to be the same she didn't have to add them at the end Um, let me just take a look uh, at your comments I love it thank you so much by the way for really getting involved in the chat it's so powerful. This is the first time I'm doing this webinar where I don't get to like hear you all interject. It's so weird. Um, so I love that you're throwing everything into the chat here. Magnitudes of 10 review. Yes, no math magic. It's the same thing I love her enthusiasm and confidence in the, in the commutative property. At least she didn't say the zero is a placeholder. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So again, by hearing her process, by having her model the multiplication in two different ways, we're able to dig deeper, put the student thinking at the forefront as opposed to saying, yes, she can multiply two digit by two digit, we're good to go. Even our strongest students may still have some small deficits that need to get supported. And the only way we do that is by hearing them think, by truly understanding how they're processing through the problem instead of looking at the singular solution. And I know that when we have a stack of papers and we're looking through those basic problems, it's just right, 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 wrong, wrong, wrong. And we lose these really rich opportunities um, to grow all of our students to the next level where they are ready. Area model would be great. The second strategy shows her number sense clearly. Yes, I absolutely love that um, strategy. And it's a great opportunity, really, when she does the 25 times 13 and splits up the 10 and the three, right? That's really what's happening on the left-hand side. I always think it's interesting that students don't see the partial products. They don't see um, that, that distributive property in the traditional algorithm that you truly are doing 25 times 3 and 25 times 10. They don't see it because we're just stacking those numbers that magic zeros popping in, they need to see it in this other way. And I agree, an area model would be a fantastic strategy as well. Okay, so hopefully, you know, these couple of examples, and it was hard, there were so many that I wanted to show you, but it's highlighting this idea that when we give students a math chat versus a math test, we're able to see them express their thinking in multiple ways and really dig into what they know and what maybe they still have misconceptions on. So we can target that instruction specific to that child, right, and meet them where they are. So I wanna talk a little bit with the time that we have remaining of how we actually um, score these and and how we make this into a progress monitoring tool, if those are things of interest to you. Um, So let's go ahead and take a look. Uh, It's gonna play again. I'm sorry. All right. Um, So over the summer, our school had us take this course preparing for hybrid learning and everything through one schoolhouse. And uh, the facilitator introduced us to this idea of a single point rubric. Um, actually, Jennifer Gonzalez, who's um, the writer in cult of pedagogy, has a whole article on it. And it was so powerful to me and a great and this was really a great opportunity for us to try it out where we could really look at um, a student's understanding through the lens really of more um, standard space mastery as opposed to a percentage score and averaging of scores that we're kind of used to. Um, And I'm gonna show you that in a second because really right at the end of the day, we don't assess to have a grade, right? We assess as part of the feedback cycle so that we can see where students are in a singular moment, that quick snapshot, and then determine what is the next step? What is our action, right, to support their growth, to the next step to the next step in their own progression. And so what a single point rubric is, is we highlight what are we looking for? What is that like grade level expectation of the skill? And we highlight just that. I don't know about you, but anytime I've tried to develop a full fledged rubric, I have found it to be extremely frustrating because my as much as I try to anticipate what errors my students might have or, or where where there might be flaws and where the score might drop down a little bit, they always surprise me. They always do things that kind of fall between the gradient. You know, it's, it's a three and it's a four. It's kind of between a one and a two. And so these rubrics, we end up having, you know, 1.5s and 3.5s and it just gets messy. So a one-point rubric, we just highlight what the expectation is of the grade level. And then we provide space for the teacher to reflect on anything that maybe um, showed that a student was maybe a little below grade level expectation, approaching those expectations, and a space to highlight anything that was exceeding expectations. So for instance, in that last example, okay, she hit the mark in the expectation of multiplying um, a two digit by two digit, but she would exceed expectations in her use of vocabulary, right? She is able to articulate her reasoning skills at a level that's way beyond her grade level. Right? Um, and so by doing so, we're not locking ourselves into this grid. We're giving ourselves as educators, the flexibility to really hone in on where our students are in their own progression. Are they hitting the standards? You know, are they hitting that learning target at the grade level expectation? And what surprises are there on either side? So that we can again, act upon the, the um, demonstration of their understanding. So we can make those notes for the next step. And if they're within that grade level expectation overall, they're good, but we still look at what might need to be supported. If they're not hitting that mark, we know it's something that we need to reteach. And so these types of tasks, we didn't grade on a percentage. It wasn't this eight out of 10, you've got an 80%. It was really looking at, are you approaching the standard? Are you meeting the grade level expectation? Or are you exceeding the grade level expectation? And what this did is by creating this sort of setup, and reassessing some of these skills, we were able to look at how our students were progressing from the beginning of the year to now the middle of the year. And you'll see in this example, right, um, a number of our students struggled with rounding at the start of the year. However, when we reassessed, we were able to see that they did hit the mark and that they were demonstrating some growth. However, the students that stayed in that approaching level, right, were able to say, okay, they didn't come in knowing it, We've re, you know, we've reteached it in the midst of the first trimester. We've reassessed, and we still have an issue. So we may need to provide additional levels of support because something still isn't clicking. We need to be more explicit in our instruction or provide a different visual model or tool because we're, we may not hit end of year expectations if we don't intervene now. Um, what you'll see in this process too, and this is part of lessons learned um, in the first assessment in this example, I had addition subtraction within a thousand as one task, um, but adding and subtracting are very different, right? And and those that uh, are are fine adding multi-digit numbers may still s- struggle with subtracting, especially when we're subtracting across zeros, right? So you'll see that in the second assessment, we actually broke it into two, and so I can really target in and say, okay, you know. The student demonstrated grade level expectations the first run, but in the second run, the addition was fine, the subtraction's an issue. I'm going to need to review that. I'm gonna pull a small group to revisit that specific idea. And in this way, we can slowly develop a progress monitoring tool to see who's growing over the course of the year, who's kind of staying in one place, and maybe who's regressing, and maybe we have to readdress that. Obviously, keeping in mind that these are singular moments in time, You're collecting tons of data on your students in formative settings throughout the day. So we know that there's more to it than this, but this was kind of our first step in creating a progress monitoring tool to support our instruction as we move forward. Okay, Um, I'm just checking in on the chat real quick in case there's anything. Okay, all right, I think we're gonna keep going for now. I was just scanning it to make sure I'm not missing anything, okay. So the last little bit I wanted to talk to you about is just the lessons learned and next steps um, in terms of where I am and where our school is in this whole idea of shifting some of our assessment tools um, to, to put student voice at the center. Um, and I learned some things the hard way. <laughs> um, okay, well, one, one, one little glow or grow moment, right? Glows and grows. The glow, um, what I really love about having students document their work in these digital portfolios in these settings is that it really helps support those five practices, right? For promoting um, strong mathematical discourse that I am able to not just anticipate what's going to happen, um, what misconceptions may be, but I can actually take a look at each of these Responses and sequence them in a way that I want our students to see and grow through a progression of the skill. That was one thing that I sometimes had issues with, or still have issues with, when we do something like a number talk. Is that if I'm if I'm calling on a student blindly to share their thinking, I might. Um, inadvertently get a very sophisticated response from the get-go and that can kind of cause other students to draw away from the conversation um, because someone just blew it out of the water, right? So by documenting student work, I can actually sequence this and look at what are the different ways that we can find this total. So this is a way of assessing some of our multiplication facts for our third graders at the beginning of the year. Yes, we could skip count, we could count the number of um, dots on the die and then skip count down. I can also start to group and scaffold um, my multiplication thinking by looking at facts that I know and building upon them or I can quickly see, well, wait a second, there's seven groups of three and seven times three is 21. So it's a great way to highlight the work for students to kind of um, critique their own thinking and the thinking of one another in the classroom to grow with them. It's also a great tool if you wanted to share with parents where a student is at the beginning of the year, middle and end, that you could actually see that growth. So different ways that we can use this assessment tool beyond just the end of unit assessment. Um, Other things that I learned in doing this, not every um, task that I would present at the start of a class is going to make a great assessment tool in this way. My attempt at um, assessing fourth graders' understanding of equivalent fractions at the start of the year was this picture on the left. look at the two pictures, what's the same about them, what's different, I want them, wanted them to compare the halves and the fourths, and they were they were looking at like chiclets and gum and blocks, and they were talking about all these other things, which were fantastic, but it wasn't actually hitting the learning target, and that wasn't their fault, it was mine. I wasn't probing the question, or I wasn't framing the question um, specifically enough to gather the data I was looking for. So while while we are looking at ways to infuse those great practices in the classroom into our assessment, doesn't mean everything's going to translate perfectly, right? Um, The other discovery I had, especially with the younger grades, is that giving them a task and just prompting them to, hey, hit the record button and explain your thinking at the end wasn't enough, right? For a first grader, for a second grader, explaining your thinking can, can seem kind of awkward. They haven't necessarily done enough number talks or or you know had that type of conversation. And so they just say, you know, I I added three plus five and that's eight. And and wouldn't think to reference, you know, a 10 frame or or any other association. They just know the answer. So what we started doing in the second round is giving them a task to do and then putting a specific prompt for them to respond to with the microphone so in that hundreds chart problem in the beginning right we added that pink square and said convince me that you know like that that number is correct so don't explain your whole process necessarily but let's target in on that so that they had a talking point specifically to share their thinking in this one we were looking at um, representing a number in two different ways the idea of a fair trade that I can actually exchange um, one flat of a hundred. Right for 10 tens and, and having them articulate that. Could be difficult if I just said, show it to me in two ways and let me know. So I just added that little prompt saying, how do you know that these two are equivalent? That's what I want you to answer to. So adding those prompts was important. The other really like minor technical thing is when using Seesaw, lock the items you don't want them to move in place before giving them the activity. I had students moving my question and manipulating the shapes all over the place. Lesson learned on my part, but hey, it's a pilot, right? So it can't go wrong. We're just learning and growing uh, right alongside with our students. Um, The one other thing that I think is our our next step um, in terms of these is to work towards building in context. And this is just a screenshot of the context that Graham Fletcher is using right in his new um, building fact fluency toolbox uh, toolkit. I was watching his presentation uh, back in January and just talking about that idea that as we um, assess even these foundational skills, these these you know basic skills or computational skills, that everything should really be presented within a context, right? We don't have to just have these dry facts for them to um, assess because the way they manage that is a little different. So, looking for opportunities where we can add. Um, that layer of a different context into the problems and tasks, I think can be really powerful. And it'll give students again, a better like um, speaking tool in terms of what they want to connect to or how they can um, leverage the context to actually like approach the problem in a different way. Okay, so that's what we're working on. Those are our thoughts tonight. Um, I certainly welcome your feedback um, because like I said, this has been um, a question on my mind for a while, something that we've just been attempting this year of how to kind of shift the assessment tools in a different way. Um, But there's still plenty of room to to grow and and create new tasks that um, provide even better um, documentation of our student understanding. So I really, I thank you for your time and for coming here today. Um, It really is, you know, on a Tuesday night at nine o'clock Eastern time. Uh, There's a lot of things you could be doing, and the fact that you're choosing to join us here um, is pretty incredible. So I'm going to take a look um, in the chat to see if there's any questions or additional commentary to discuss. Um, But again, I thank you for your time, um, and I hope that we can continue the conversation. You have my Twitter handle and email. Um, I'm always happy to continue this, this dialogue and learn from each one of you as well. Let me just take a look.
0: I did put a few uh, questions into the presenter chat for you. Okay, uh, let me see if I can find.
1: Nope, not that one, hang on. Oh. Nope. Let me, oh, here it is. It's easier for me to see it here. Okay, really good question. So the first question that came up, can students use math type with Seesaw, exponents, radicals, subscripts? Oh man, I wish that they had that feature. Um, I do know that Seesaw is very receptive to feedback and I think it would be a great next step because it is such a powerful tool for mathematics. I think that it was originally geared for younger grades that weren't going to need some of those. I do not see a function for that right now. What you can do, students can you know, screenshot other things and drag it in but obviously that's a little different. They can also write, like they can use a stylus and, and write the work, but in terms of typing the math, that feature isn't available just yet to my knowledge. Um, another thing, I've heard great things about Seesaw for elementary. Is it too young for middle school? It really depends on how you're using it. Um, what, what one student, what one teacher, excuse me, is using Seesaw for, a little separate from what we're talking about tonight, is actually creating a math journal Um, for them to uh, reflect and connect. Um, So as they go through the different themes throughout the year, right, what connections are they seeing across different units of study to to kind of discuss? Where are they seeing the mathematics maybe in different content areas? Where are you seeing mathematics in science? Where are you seeing mathematics um, in in, uh, maybe like a probability, you know, if, if there's an elective or something like that? Um, even where careers might draw into the mathematics. So it's used in a slightly different way. Um, you can also, the students can take pictures and input that content into their, like that little mini slide deck like you saw. So they can show their work in different ways. It just depends on the type of question that you're posing. I think it's really great for reflection and annotation. Um, and finally, let's see, do you have, Do you model what is good before having them do it on their own? Very good question. Um, Did we model that this year? We did not. I'll be completely honest. Um, We didn't have previous uh, content. Now that we have student work, we could demonstrate some of that. Um, One piece of feedback I had given to Our second grade teachers, because again, trying to get students to explain their thinking was to promote, you know, do some practice, additional practice with number talks that had similar tasks or those types of things to get the students thinking about um, and expressing their thinking and maybe them recording in a journal. But I I 100% agree with you that showing them what we're looking for in a response can be really powerful. And I think, you know, in that one response where we saw the girl was so articulate in her thinking, um, might draw out a little more from some students that might give a very short, you know, two or three word, uh, response, um, for them to see what, what a good example is. That's great feedback. Thank you. Um, do you endorse, endorse a certain curriculum to go along with this type of learning? Um, I don't, I don't have, um, a specific, uh, connection to a specific curriculum, if you're talking about like primary resources, right? Which I think, you know, curriculum I look at as a living and breathing document where you're putting things from all over the place. If you're talking about a primary resource, um, I've never found one that I just love 100%. I really think that good instruction comes from blending so many different components of instruction. so, so no, I, I don't think that there's, there's one that gives that perfect match. But I think you can infuse this into any curriculum or any um, resource because, again, you're taking those modeling questions or you're taking those um, critiquing or, or problem-solving questions and just putting it in a different format, providing the time and space for students to express their thinking in more than just you know, that little box of space on a worksheet to write like a short sentence or draw a picture. But really great question. All right, you guys, um, you are the true rock stars. Thank you for sticking it out. Thank you so much for your feedback. I'm so excited to kind of look through um, the chat again and really get to dig a little deeper into your your feedback and commentary. I hope you're able to take something away. Um, I find that usually in these these types of workshops and seminars, um, usually it's that little morsel that I take with me and and add to my toolbox. So I hope you found something in that this evening. and thank you again. Yep. Um,
0: we had one final question. Um, that I don't think you quite answered. How do you get um, students to, you know, encourage students to participate or buy in and be vulnerable as they're recording themselves for the first mm-hmm. time? Um, you know, probably not so much of an issue with like a first or second grade student, but as they get older, they tend to get more shy about expressing learning that they think is wrong.
1: Right. Uh, um, that's a really that's a really great question, and I know that was um, a big concern last year when we were using Flipgrid quite a lot. Same thing, right? Where like the the student's image was kind of at the forefront too. What I like about Seesaw is it doesn't necessarily have to be a recording of their their face, but I get that it's still that concern of I might be wrong. Um, creating that safe space starts day one with just creating that community, right? That sense of this is a space where we explore, we, we fail forward. I think that embedding um, a bunch of different number routines and class discussions from the get-go is so important and giving students those opportunities to share out their thinking before recording, right? So doing a which one doesn't belong, doing an estimation 180, doing you know any of these tasks, um, a number talk so that students see that there is more than one answer, that there is more than one approach and that we honor that. Um, another component that I've seen done well is this idea of my favorite mistake. Um, sometimes a teacher will run it, they'll kind of look at exit tickets from the previous day or one problem from an assessment and kind of highlight uh, their favorite mistake, of course not showing the student's name, but. What was really interesting about this? You know, what did they do well? What are they still working on? And making that a common practice that we value the mistakes because that's part of the, the process, right? We're revising our thinking. We're using rough draft thinking um, as we we grow. Um, but really embedding those number sense routines from the get-go and creating a safe environment where we, we ask questions and we, multi- we represent our thinking in multiple ways, I think can create a safe space for, for this type of work. It
0: takes time. Yeah, no, it definitely takes time. And, um, you know, for some students, if they've had issues or teachers where there hasn't been that encouragement, um, sometimes that's a, a hard bridge to, to cross over for some of those mm-hmm. students. If they've had negative experiences in the past. Correct. Correct. So thank you very much for your, your presentation tonight. Um, can you uh, share your email in the chat uh, for
1: everybody? Absolutely, absolutely. Let me make
0: sure I reach out to you. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, great. Thank you for presenting. Um, So our our next uh, session is on April, not April, uh, almost April, March thirtieth. David Henson is going to be presenting "Demystifying Math with with Numberless Word Problems." The recommended grade level for that is grades six through twelve. Um, In addition, uh, we are looking for Global Math Department webinar attendees to share how the Global Math Department has impacted their work in their classrooms. Uh, We're looking to have approximately four presenters share for about 10 to 15 minutes each. Um, We are interested in hearing from people that have attended the webinar live, like all of you tonight, or possibly watch the recording or listen to the podcast. Uh, We would invite you to consider sharing with us for this special session on June 29th. Um, if you're interested, you can email us at globalmathdepartment@gmail.com, at which is listed in the sticky note at the top of the chat. Or um, you can fill out uh, this Google form. I think it'll hyperlink there. There we go. Um, that Google form. And in addition, if you know any potential speakers, um, our speakers are pretty much filled up for the remainder of this, this school year. But we are starting to look for speakers starting in August of uh, 2021. If you know any potential speakers, email us or have them email us at, at gmail.com We look forward to seeing all of you at our next webinar.
1: Good night, everyone. Good night.